Hey everyone, just wanted to thank you for listening to Definitely Doomed, the episode by episode Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Also wanted to remind you that each episode of the podcast is a breakdown of each episode of the show, and therefore we have no concern for spoilers and the like. Please enjoy. When they bit me, it was beyond passion. They wanted to devour me, all of me. Why are you telling me this? It wasn't real. I know, it was just physical. But the fact that I craved it, that, that I kept going back, even if it was fleeting, they made me feel like they had such hunger for me. And I don't make you feel that way? How on earth can you compare me to that? How can you tell me you understand what those vampires are feeling? You aren't a passion to them. You are a snack. A willing, idiotic snack. No, I know exactly what they feel when they bite me because I feel it every time we're together. It's like the whole world falls away. And all there is is you. And you think that I don't feel the same way about you? How dare you tell me what I feel? You keep me at a distance, Buffy. You didn't even call me when your mom went into the hospital. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that I couldn't take care of you when I thought that my mother was dying. It's about me taking care of you. It's about letting me in. Hey, everyone. Definitely Doomed, the episode-by-episode episode breakdown podcast of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that sometimes takes longer to listen to yeah. than it would to watch the show, but not always anymore. Sometimes we're, you know, rolling through them. Joining me in that time-wasting quest on the other line is your friend and mine. His name's Basil. There I am. Hi, Basil. Hey. <laughs> My name's Ruben. Yeah. We're here. Here we How's are. How's it going? Uh, it's going all right. It's cold here. It's snowy. Happy Boxing Boxing Day. It's yeah. not Boxing Day, but since the day after Christmas is Boxing Day, the day after Boxing Day must be Boxing Boxing Day, right? Yep. <laughs> this won't be coming out for a while, so that'll really date us. That's true. It's we saw like know. eight episodes in the in the can. Um, I prefer Boxing Boxing Day to what <laughs> Doug Benson calls the time between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, we'll just pretend like about half of the things Doug Benson says just don't exist. That's true. <laughs> since I enjoy the other half. <laughs> yeah, he's very funny when he's not being gross, but he's very gross very often. Yeah. And he seems like an actually, I don't know, judging based on very limited uh, approval, he seems like a good person, but just like a misdirected one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, you want to move on to, uh, speaking yeah. of generally good per- people who are kind of misdirected, <laughs> it's time yeah. to say goodbye to Riley. <laughs> um, <laughs> today we're going to be discussing Into the Woods um, from Season 5. And it's my turn to give the plot description. 
which is thus. Uh, the episode starts off with uh, right where the other one ended, which is everyone is waiting to see how Joyce's surgery goes. And um, it's a success, and this um, sort of ripple effect of that uh, stressor being off people's shoulders means that other things that people were not talking about uh, start to rise to the surface, um, since they're not all focused that way. So, of course, the major one is um, Buffy and Riley are trying to reconnect after uh, all this time uh, not focused on each other, and uh, Riley's issues are starting to come up, and they come to a head when Spike, who is spying on them, um, finds out that Riley is visiting these vampires and shows Buffy about it. Um, when Buffy goes to the gang to confront it, they point out that it's not really that serious a problem, and she acts all, obviously, upset about it anyway. Um, and so Xander's picking up on what's going on, and then uh, the army people are like, hey, if things aren't working out for you in Sunnydale, you should come join us. So Spike shows Buffy what's happening, Riley and Buffy, uh, you know, finally have it out, what the problems have been since, you know, basically since they started dating, and uh, Riley says that he's going to leave if uh, Buffy doesn't ask him to stay. Um, Buffy and Xander have a argument over whether or not that's the right thing to do, and Buffy decides that she does want Riley to stay, even if uh, it's not under the best circumstances, but just misses him as he pulls away. And Xander, uh, a little more attuned, yeah, yeah, in a helicopter, uh, Xander, a little more attuned to people's feelings, uh, helps him realize that he needs to make sure that Anya knows uh, that, um, like, Buffy wishes she had told Riley that their relationship is really important to him. Uh, and uh, that's pretty much it. There's some other little scenes, but that's the the major A and B plot. Vampire, prostitution, and Riley leaving. <laughs> what did you think of this episode, Basil? I like this episode. Uh... I mean, I like it a lot, I guess. Uh, the uh, the pivotal scenes are really, really good and really affecting. And, um, I mean, the, mo- the episode is more or less just those scenes. It's like, <laughs> they, they, they're, they're all pretty long. And, yeah. Uh, when I was watching it, there was like 17 minutes left when Buffy and Riley start arguing, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't realize this much of the episode was Buffy and Riley and Buffy and Xander, and that's True. like nine or ten minutes of a 40-minute show, are those two scenes. <laughs> yep. Pretty cool. What about you? Uh, I I also like it a lot. I would give it like... A B plus, like a high B plus, and in fact, probably the episode itself is really more deserving of an A minus. But some problems that I have in general, things that we've talked about, like 
this season's over sympathy for Spike and his situation, you right. know, continued to bleed into this episode, and it's not really this episode's fault, if that makes any sense, because it's a season-long arc right. that they're keeping up with. Um, and we get a couple, like, bad Xander jokes or whatever, but yeah, um, obviously we're going to get into it, but uh, the emotional core of this episode is uh, really, really good. <laughs> yeah. And one scene is really funny to me, <laughs> so that's always nice. It's true. Um, but yeah, so you wanted to start with the scene where, like, um, Dawn is staying with uh, Anya and Xander so that Buffy and Riley can have, like, a night alone back at mm -hmm. the Summer's Manor, and they're, like, slow dancing to music. Yeah. So what did you want to say about this part? Oh, well, I mean, part of what I want to, uh, like, I mean, it's sort of a nice scene, although, like, it's a bad song, and then when she's <laughs> like, I want this song on repeat forever, I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> Sounds like hell to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I guess my main thing is like sort of I guess like a rhetorical question which is something that occurred to me just as I was watching this although it should have occurred to me a long time ago which is like why do primetime television shows have sex scenes <laughs> <coughs> like they're just like they I mean I, I can't imagine like watching it unless you're like you know uh, like, teenager that doesn't have access to pornography for some reason and being like, this is erotic, I'm glad that I'm watching this, like, but also, like, you know, I mean, I guess, like, I just, I don't know, it feels weird, because I'm just like, I guess it seems necessary somehow, but also I don't know how, like, a weird like, soft core, or, like, no core, really, like, <laughs> slow fade sex scene, like, like, does that make people feel good when they watch it? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think your question is a little bit answered by the fact that this show almost always only uses sex scenes to convey, like, a disconnect between right. the, the two people who are doing it, especially with Buffy, so, like, um... Probably the only sex scene that genuinely seems good at the time that I can think of off the top of my head is the one between her and Parker. And obviously that turns bad, like, mm -hmm. right away afterwards. But, Same um, with Angel. I mean, that one doesn't seem yeah. as good to begin with. Yeah. But I guess it is, like, Buffy has sex and then something bad happens right afterwards. <laughs> Every time, but, just about. <laughs> Like, um, the other scene that I think of with her and Riley is the one where they're, it's cutting back and forth between them having sex and the monster, and they're fighting that monster, and it's playing, like, this creepy music, and then it reveals that Maggie Walsh is watching them have sex, and I'm like, right. oh, no, <laughs> poor Buffy. <laughs> and then in this one, you know, obviously, like, she seems like, I don't know, she's always trying to be there, she's all face-making and whatnot, and Riley is... Just gyrating on top, I don't know, or something. Mm -hmm. He seems distant. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, um, what was I going to say? I, oh, yeah, there's also the other episode where they, uh, they're having lots of sex that's turning mm. the house haunted or whatever. <laughs> and 
yeah. But, uh, like, that's more, yeah, interesting. I don't know. Like, that... I remember watching that, like, especially as a teenager and just being like, wow, this sh show's kind of, like, really going for it in, like, a way that's, like, sort of upsetting or strange or whatever. But maybe it's just from having recently watched The Room, but I was like, there's only, a, like, a little bit of good lighting that separates this scene from the scenes in The Room. Like, it's the same <laughs> kind of, like, slow fades... And the camera's, like, kind of slowly, like, tracking across their bodies in bed that are, like, angled with weird sheets and stuff. But, I don't know. I guess it's just the the tropes of TV sex. <laughs> you can't really get a, do anything that's, like, cinematically good with them. <laughs> Fair enough. The, yeah, the main thing I took away was uh, acting, which is... Sarah Michelle Gellar is really going for it with her faces. And yeah, right. my first thought watching the scene was, I think Buffy likes sex with Riley more than sex with Angel. <laughs> she only got that once since she was 16, so. Yeah, it makes sense. First time's <laughs> not usually the best time for anyone, I would hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then... <laughs> Uh, I guess the next scene that um, we wanted to, to or that I wanted to talk about is um, after um, Buffy finds out about Riley, uh, we go to the gang hanging out at the magic box, and uh, they've got all these extra chicken feet, and Anya wants to give them away as a holiday special and Willow and Giles make fun of her <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, mostly I like the scene because it's funny but I also like it because I think it uh, I mean it's setting up some things that are going to happen in the next episode um, but I also feel like it's the first time where it's turned where it's like hmm kind of feels like the show is on Anya's side at this point and I right. don't know if I felt that before like a lot of the times when they're mean to her it is like Anya says, it's, uh, hey, Anya doesn't understand the mechanics of modern human social interaction. Right. Isn't she foolish? But in this mm. case, it feels like, why are these people rude to Anya all the time? She's <laughs> right. a definitive part of the group now at this point. It's true. <laughs> they need to get over it. Um, and I don't know, I just friends. love so many line deliveries, the one that we talked about before the podcast when, you know, she's like, I dislike that, Anya. She's newly human and strangely literal. <laughs> right. It's very funny. But I also really like when they're all leaving and she's like, have fun, don't get killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think that part of what works about the the first line that you said is the kind of, you know, I mean, an acknowledgement of the way in which people really are, which is that, for the most part, people who are sensitive and, like, care about things, they know how other people see them, 
end mm-hmm. that 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 sense of self-awareness like you know like people can think when someone's like doing something like that or whatever that it is funny to make fun of them because they're kind of oblivious or whatever but you know she she knows the way that she is and you know that that that's part of it the i feel like the point of which uh you know they need to learn to lay off because it's not like you know i mean in some way like gentle ribbing of like a social variety or even like cruel ribbing is like a kind of way to i mean way to make people feel bad but also like there's an implied sense of like some kind of social lesson being taught like i'm making fun of you because you did this thing that's sort of embarrassing and then you know the shame that you feel you won't do that again maybe but you know she is aware of who she is and at which makes their making fun of her uh just sort of beating a dead horse or being cruel without any point yeah um, and, you know, I think probably he's not perfect, but Xander comes off the best in the scene. I don't think he is quick enough to defend Anya at the beginning, but when Anya crosses a line, he correctly points out that she has, um, <laughs> it, it's not appropriate for her to tell her boss that without her he'd be wetting himself in the corner. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's true. Um... Even if in our new world, that's actually just returning the ribbing in the same, right. <laughs> in the same manner, yeah. um, and you know, obviously Willow helping out, unpaid, is mm. more valuable to the stores, continued than yep. uh, agreed upon labor for money exchange. Yeah, returns <laughs> are the best. <laughs> If most companies could have their way, they'd have nothing but interns. <laughs> Just one owner and a bunch of volunteers. Yeah, I think um, Xander's a little bit better in the scene later when uh, Riley and Buffy are at the shop in terms of like understanding where everyone's at and trying to mm-hmm. somewhat nicely, but also somewhat meanly, tell Anya to stop you know, Anya over, all over the place. Right, for sure. <laughs> I just, we already passed the scene, but I'll just go ahead and mention since uh, that there's more dark blowjob stuff going on in this episode. Yeah, it's true. Another minor complaint. <laughs> yep. They even referenced it. Yeah. Pretty Sec surprised that... Yeah. Two-bit trolls or whatever. Yeah. Gross. I was... I guess that's a way to get around the... Things you can't say on television. It's pretty, although it's pretty funny that, you know, suck job is actually a more accurate description of what a blowjob is. But, <laughs> but it's okay to say that. <laughs> Both... Equally good. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, And, uh, oh, just uh, briefly, this is probably um, 
maybe a, like verging on politically incorrect, but I think uh, Giles' sign for every single holiday that's celebrated, from mm-hmm. like the human ones to the demon ones, including Gurunthar's ascendance, <laughs> is probably the best version of the joke of we've let things go too far with All like right. <laughs> celebrating every holiday. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, people should just say happy holidays, but I'm Jewish. People tell me Merry Christmas all the time. It's fine. Right. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Yeah, the sentiment is, you know, it's there. But I mean, you know, yeah. I think it's the more upsetting thing is people getting upset at saying, at the idea that they should say happy holidays. Yeah, that's why the the sign bumps up against the line of being like a little offensive, but Gurunthar's sure. ascendance is very funny. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's true. Uh, um, oh yeah, I, I remember reading uh, reading a news article. This is a tangent, but someone talking about you know, uh Merry Christmas and blah 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 and how they grew up saying it and uh but her her at some point without any sense of self awareness she said like uh why can't everyone just you know be agreeable and nice to each other and say Merry Christmas and I was like wait but that's an argument for saying happy holidays. <laughs> You're just saying, why can't everyone be nice and say the thing I want them to say? That's <laughs> yeah. not as inclusive. <laughs> um, yeah, like, um, taking it back even further, but, like, you know, some people will make, like, a really bad faith argument that, you know, um, people, like, Christians shouldn't have to, like, treat uh, gay customers or something like the one for mm-hmm. some reason I don't know why it's always coming up with bakeries because I'm sure yeah. Christians own other shops but it's always like why should they have to make a cake for a gay wedding or something and um, it's like you know and then the left is always like uh, real tolerance is being tolerant of our intolerance um, <laughs> but then I saw a tweet the other day that was the first one in a long time about the situation that made me laugh. And, it's, and it was, um, if us being intolerant of intolerance is intolerant, then your intolerance of our intolerance of your intolerance <laughs> is also intolerance. <laughs> nice. It's an endless game. <laughs> um, yeah. There was a Portland bakery that got in trouble for that. And uh, it was a pretty funny and rude troll, but the, um, like a local radio station, uh, after it had come out, they called and asked for like, like a pagan cake for like a pagan ceremony, and the guy said that they would do it. <laughs> <laughs> really exposing that it had nothing to do with their religious beliefs, they just don't like gay people, but... Yes. They're like, <laughs> is it okay if you do just like an upside down star? Like, we were having like a big pagan get together and just like, you know, kind of like a black cake with like a black star. Yeah, that's fine. What do you want already? <laughs> yep. 
Um, speaking of uh, not really <laughs> selling things, I, I can't think of the right word for it. I just have a sure. brief note that I wanted to mention when um, Buffy and Xander and Willow and Giles all go to the flop house and uh, it's been abandoned. Um, and Buffy's angry that there are no vampires there. Um, Sandra says, you'll get them next time, champ. <laughs> yeah. It sounds so disingenuous. Patronizing yeah. and insulting. It's pretty perfect. And then she throws the, whatever, the heater mm. in the corner. Mm. It's just sure, dangerous. It's the whole building on finder. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty irresponsible of her. I feel like she should have been called out a little bit more mm. than that. I mean, it's fine to build, yeah. burn down one building, maybe, that's like an abandoned building. But, I mean, fires spread very easily. It's, it's yeah, they extremely do. extremely irresponsible. It's true. They're, um, I mean, in general, they're a little tenuous about calling each other out about anything. And it usually rests on Giles as the adult. It's true. <laughs> But I guess uh, it's like it's less dramatic if someone rushes to mm. put it out and it's like mm. there are other buildings where people live. <laughs> yeah. But like looking ahead, like I know that Giles is like the only one who will say anything to Willow about all the stuff that Willow does over the next <laughs> two seasons. Right. <laughs> Until it goes way too far. Yep. Um Playings and whatnot. <laughs> and then Riley happen. gets his revenge and he kills Spike. No, that's a ridiculous uh, <laughs> pre, pre-commercial moment. Yeah. Um, to make you all anxious or something. Uh, but luckily, even though that's really ridiculous, the scene that follows it is super good. At least mm-hmm. in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Um, and it recalls Something that we talked about on Johnny Guitar and probably a lot of other podcasts, which is like these men who fight other men instead of looking at the woman. Right. <laughs> like when they're upset. Um, and I think that this scene uh, really perfectly understands how silly that is because they're all like angry and brusque and. Uh, scare quotes masculine and then almost immediately they just become two sad boys like about their feelings (laughs) it's like a really perfect transition to like the meaninglessness of the whole fighting aspect of it to be like (laughs) they're just doing this because they're deeply sad and they don't know how to talk about their feelings (laughs) and in this case neither of them have any like really good male friends that they can (laughs) talk about stuff with which is a problem (laughs) Masculinity is a prison. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> what do you have to say about this scene? Oh, uh, yeah, I, um, I like the way in which, uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting, again, sort of like the way, I think one of the things that's cool about the varying fights throughout this is that... Uh, People are both, like, acting in self-interest and also saying true things, like, where there are parts where people aren't actually, like, having the same conversation that people are, Mm -hmm. that, like, you know, someone is saying something and then the other person is not responding to their argument, 
but responding to their perception of their argument, which is how real fights work. Like, you know, that yeah. two people feel feelings and they're trying to express them. And because communication's imperfect, they can't express them in a way that the other person immediately understands. So they're, you know, and so that, like, Spike is acting out of a self-interest because he wants to be with Buffy instead of Riley. So he has a certain kind of uh, uh, impetus to make Riley feel bad and make him feel like, their relationship isn't really uh, a good one or a, you know, one that's going to go the distance. But at the same time, he is also picking up on the vulnerabilities that exist and, you know, kind of laying them bare for Riley, which is uncomfortable to hear. But, you know, it's a, a dual thing of, you know, he, he's overstating the case because it behooves him to do so, but... He's not wrong either. Yeah, I think he's not wrong about how Riley feels and is correctly pointed out, but I think in the case of both of them, that they might be wrong about who Buffy is as a person. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, Spike uh. is very wrong. Like, he he is projecting extremely hard onto her some idea that, like, because she was with Angel and because he wants to be with her, his sort of, like, masculine, like, women that I want want to be with me thing is, like, oh, she likes bad boys or whatever, but that's not an inherently true thing about Buffy at all. Yeah, and I th- I think um, the fact that when uh, Riley says, do you have a shot with her, and he sadly admits no, that um, that's not uh, him, like, uh recognizing reality that's actually him sadly admitting to riley that he knows he's not a bad boy <laughs> right <laughs> which is like a he's pretty a sad boy <laughs> yeah which is like a pretty layered moment he realizes that uh angel is actually much darker than him and that he is more overcompensate overcompensatory when it mm-hmm. comes to his darkness <laughs> yeah it's uh um it's performative because yeah he's really just a, a bad poet when, <laughs> Yeah, when uh, Spike and Angelus were together and both being evil at the same time, like specifically in season two, Spike felt very uncomfortable and um, <laughs> emasculated by the presence yep. of him uh, because he thinks that that is what, not just Buffy, but that is what women in general like, mm-hmm. which is like a very common response when you're kind of like lonely and maybe you're not a nice person, but in your head you think you are, and you're not getting what you want, then you're like, oh, I must be the other thing, which is mean, in order to get right. what I want. <laughs> and there's like a confirmation bias that you see people, and see people and see their relationships as like, oh, this person is being very cruel to this other person. He's a cruel person, so people want to be with cruel people. Yeah, and like literally all Spike would have to do is like look just slightly down the corner to see that that's not true because Willow and Tara are not cruel and Xander and Anya are not cruel and they really like each other and have like semi-healthy relationships. (laughs) So far. Yeah. Well, in regards to one of them, Xander and Anya stay cool. 
Uh, yeah. Um, and then, you know, like what I mentioned at the, the top of the episode, he gets that really great monologue, but that I think sort of... They're not driving how creepy it is like, mm -hmm. quite hard enough. Like it's a little too much on the empathy train of him being sad about not being with the woman that he wants. But James Marster's right. delivery can be so good that there's a lot of parts that are really funny. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> regardless, uh, like the end of that part. So the monologue yeah, that I'm talking about is, of course, the one where... Um, He's saying to Riley how they both have raw deals, but sometimes I think that I get the better deal because you're with her, but you don't ever get to feel like you're really with her, like she's not really with you. And he gives this long speech about, um, you know, having sex with her, basically, but mm -hmm. feeling distant from her. And then at the end of it, he goes, no, you got the better deal. Mm -hmm. I thought that was very funny. And I also thought yeah. it was really funny earlier when um, he brings Buffy to the to the house and they're all like running away and <laughs> Riley um, and Spike are outside of the building and he's like, we're just, or no, it's when they're upstairs, he's like, we're just here because we care about you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, his smirk is very perfect in that moment. <laughs> and I do like, you know, I almost wish that like that, uh, I mean, because to sort of address the creepiness or whatever, like it wouldn't be that hard because like parts of it are certainly there. They just don't, oh, we one way instead of the other. Like, when uh, Spike later uh, in that scene is, like, talking to Buffy and being like, I just felt you should know. Like, the way she looks at him is, like, he she knows why he really did that. Like, it's very transparent yeah. to her. And, like, I think that that would be an easy way, to, I mean, you know, that they could have taken it to be, like, like, he's he's a bad person still. Like, he is acting out of, like, like very, very naked self-interest. He's trying to sabotage their relationship for no reason except that he wants to be with Buffy. So, like, you know, uh, but they don't, like, there, there doesn't really come a point where, at least as far as I can remember, like, he gets called out specifically by Buffy for things like yeah. this. And um, he, that moment also ends with him, like, seeing how upset she is and him being, like, sad about it. So it ends on a moment of us, the audience, empathizing with his sadness. And I'm like, right. I don't empathize with his sadness in this moment. I think James yeah. Marsters is a good actor. So, like, the way his face changes impresses me from, like, a technical mm -hmm. standpoint. But I'm like, I don't, I don't want to feel like that's what the writers want me to feel is like connected to him in this moment <laughs> right yeah like his i mean his uh objection like don't kill the messenger to riley later in the scene that we were talking about is like i mean that's a completely bs like objection yeah. because he's not the <laughs> messenger he's a very willful instigator in this moment yeah he's a concerned third party <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so then after, uh, Spike and Riley have it out, um, and, uh, share booze together, uh, Riley goes to the magic box, um, to talk to Buffy, um, and, uh, I really like the scene, but I'll begin with my one complaint about it, which is that, um, 
I obviously Riley has some information that Buffy does not at this point, but he walks in and he says, "We need to have this out right now." And I'm like, That's <laughs> yeah. not really how fights work. <laughs> <laughs> if someone doesn't want to fight, like you can't actually like force them into it. <laughs> Be like, yeah. "We need to get over this." <laughs> Which I, is, uh... you know, Buffy appropriately calls him out on it. Yeah, the way she, uh, like when he's trying to like make it happen, and she finally concedes. Part of her concession is telling him, "Get your hand off me." And the way she delivers yeah. that is like really intense. I was like, "Oh fuck." Yeah, um, I meant to say this like at the beginning of the episode, but um, it's a convoluted sports metaphor. But um, been listening to podcasts recently where uh, someone talks about how like a team is doing well, and then people overrate the quality of the quarterback because they're mm-hmm. the most responsible person um, because of it, and then they're not looking at the like, little details that show that the quarterback's not quite as good as who they thought it was. And, uh, you know, uh, TV and film is the same thing, like, as compared to different sports. You know, when a basketball team is successful, like, you can usually kind of separate one player's qualities from the other enough to, like, know who is certain levels of responsibility but football it's a lot more complex um Mm -hmm. and with scheme and i was just thinking about how easily we've given so much of the credit to uh joss whedon um for the success of these shows and Mm -hmm. i don't know who the casting agent (laughs) is the casting director but i think that they're probably at the very least like a really good offensive coordinator who hasn't right. been getting the recognition that they deserve because, uh, you know, it's so often people are just put into uh, a place where they can succeed. Like, I don't think that Mark Lucas is a great actor by any means. I think he has a certain skill set and someone saw it and they put him in a place where he can do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it works really well. I say that on on the one hand because Buffy and Riley and Spike and Xander and Anya are also good in this episode, but there's that one army commander guy whose only tone is gruff voice, and he's really <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so I judge the casting director for that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But, I mean, yeah, I don't, <laughs> he is very, very funny, though, in his <laughs> badness or whatever. Like, every line delivery is the exact same. Can we get yeah. him? <laughs> <laughs> But TV and film has a lot of different moving parts in terms of something becoming successful. And, you know, we always sort of want to make one person responsible for it when there Mm -hmm. are a lot of people. And I think that the reason why this show is good, um, I think it has lots of other good qualities, but I think the acting is the thing that makes it the most good. So I agree. I think the actors and the casting director are the ones who really make this show some. work. That's <laughs> true. Um, so this is a super interesting scene um, because it's kind of a gender role reversal of how you would expect this scene to go. It, mm. uh, man is very vulnerable and it's like, I'm sharing my emotions with you and you're not sharing yours with me. You feel very closed off. And I think that that would be more interesting if we got enough of the way that it actually happens more in real life, which is mm. women doing the emotional work 
and men not doing it. Right. Um, <laughs> and sadly, we don't get that scene enough in film and television for me to be as excited about the scene from mm-hmm. a gender role reversal like standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, I, uh, I often think about uh, someone talking about, um, well, like art history uh, on a forum that I used to post on. Uh, and, uh, you know, the um, postmodernism and everything else, but uh, he summed it up really nicely. Like, it was like, everything is subversive. <laughs> <laughs> And I feel like, you know, like, this is responding to, like, a cultural perception, but, like, one that doesn't actually exist, because everything, you know, that deals in these things is trying to deal in, like, you know, subverting them in some either comedic or dramatic or ironic way that, like, the, uh, that film and television have never been, like, an accurate representation of what we perceive culture to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, and it, but saying that, I, this is exactly how my undergraduate relationship felt. So, like, mm-hmm. I deeply, this is what I went through, is that right. I was just so in love with what was ostensibly my first girlfriend my first non-long-distance girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, it always felt more like she liked me a lot. I was, like Xander's going to say later, convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's a rough feeling. And so, yeah. you know, I think Riley is a big jerk. <laughs> in a lot of situations, but I don't know if you haven't been in that situation. It's, it's not fun. No. And it's, it's hard to respond maturely or intelligently when you're in it. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I give him credit for being, you know, and I think that this is like one of the ways in which this scene is so good is that you know he does vacillate like in in some points he's being extremely honest extremely fair extremely vulnerable and then in other moments he is like mad at her and you know being petty and also like expecting her to forgive him because of the circumstance very quickly. Like, he constantly says that he's not, but, like, it's a lot Mm -hmm. to put on a person in a short amount of time and be like, this is why I did this, and, you know, it's not 100% your fault, but it's sort of your fault. (laughs) 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 Like, you know, like, he, he says that, you know, it's his fault, but at the same time, he is saying... I couldn't handle how you were treating me, so I did this, and the part about you were treating me this way is still in there. Yeah. No, it's true. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't... But, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. And I think that that's one of the things that's also interesting is that, like, in a way, uh, I guess, like, Buffy has much less self-awareness than Riley does because she, like, the way that she fights with him, there are moments where it's like she genuinely believes she's been doing what he's saying she's not doing, but she hasn't been and like it's like yeah. a thing where she doesn't uh, like she's very defensive throughout mm. this whole fight um like in terms of like what you said before like people responding to their perception of what the other person is saying riley is you know this fight is saying that on some level riley is right because he is listening to the things that she's saying and attempting, if not always succeeding, and sometimes, you know, his human frailty leads him to be defensive as well. But she almost never responds to the yeah. things that he says. She is very much treating it like the type of fight that she's about to have <laughs> once they're done having this fight, where she is blocking his blows oh, right. know, <laughs> to keep him from hurting her. Um, yeah. Which I... I mean... I understand that's, you know, if I'm to put myself in the in the other situation, you know, my next several relationships post that one, I was the Buffy, just like uh, Buffy was me with Angel. <laughs> yeah, I, um, uh, uh, oh, yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, like, this is, uh, like, in some ways, at least, she has, yeah, like, unlearned the ability to to be that open with people or whatever. Like, I mean, the thing that messes Riley up in the earlier scene is when he's like, oh, you were so strong, you didn't even cry. And she's like, no, I cried a lot. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, well, thanks for telling me. <laughs> yeah. And then... What's what's kind of interesting that I think the writers get, even if neither Riley nor Buffy get it on that point, is that actual strength is crying with the people that you care about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> actual strength is not pretending that you're never upset. <laughs> right. Because that's, that's a similar... Well, I mean, this has been a thing that's been coming up in my real life recently also. Like, the idea that there are certain people who are, like, nice... And I have often been one of them, and it's been a thing that's hard to get past where they they nicely lie to protect other people's feelings. Like, <laughs> oh, this if I say this thing, it's going to hurt their feelings, and it's not that big a deal, so I just won't tell them. Or, you know, kind of uh, conversationally walk around the, the hard part, and that that's, that's not a nice way to be. It's just... Like it's, Not with it's the people still... who you're truly close to. Yeah, exactly. That it's like it's a perfectly and... nice way to be with coworkers or strangers or right. people who are acquaintances but not close friends. Exactly, <laughs> and so the uh, the problem then is like she sees being strong as pretending to be strong because it might upset other people to see her 
vulnerable, or at least that's her justification. But it's really just that, you know, like in both situations, it's a it's a matter of self interest. You you lie to people because you don't want them to be hurt and be upset with you, or and you aren't vulnerable around people because you don't want them to know that you feel sad and feel weak and because it's to, scary. To defend Buffy a little bit, I will say that the group in general puts too much focus and pressure on her to be that person yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> that, yeah, I think um, that... You know, if we just look at, um, was listening to Fear the last episode? It was, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that whole episode is them really wanting to call Buffy and not doing right. it. And it's like this huge struggle for all of them not to right. be like, so what should we do, Buffy? <laughs> and like, yeah. that's not a good group yeah, dynamic. That... <laughs> it sure isn't. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's a similar thing going all the way back to like... Um the beginning of season three where they're really rude to her because she took off and they're just like hey you abandoned us that's awful (laughs) how could you do that to us and the reason why it was really awful is none of us know what to do on our own (laughs) we (laughs) putting her in an unreasonable position sorry i don't think you heard me i just said um the part of the reason I think why they're so mad that we just landed on is because they don't know what to do when Buffy's not there. <laughs> so they're like, we're like big babies and we need you to take care of us. Why would you leave us? <laughs> it's true. Um, so yeah, my friend Colin once said that, I don't know if it's still true, it was true at the time that we watched this, which was when we were like 21. Um, that it was the best breakup scene he'd ever seen. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly it, up there for me. Because of all these dynamics that we're talking about. Yeah. And they're able to... I mean, I guess that's one of the things that differentiates television from movies is the ability to build up these kinds of things. And I think that, they, again, like... My complaints earlier on in the podcast is something that they managed to get better at, like they earned this or whatever. Like the amount that Buffy is in love with Angel in retrospect watching the show, I'm always like, this moved too quickly. <laughs> I don't, some of these emotional payoffs don't quite work because they didn't quite take the time to get there. But by this, by this time, you know, who Buffy is has been changed and elaborated on through the multitude of circumstances that have happened to her over the course of four seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think, like, Riley is essentially right and that Buffy has been closed off in the year or so that they've been together um but i think two things that riley is wrong about is one that that is somehow a permanent condition or that it means anything necessarily always for their relationship um and two that that's 
like nothing. I don't think he respects <laughs> what she has given him enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. And I also would add to that, I mean, in a way, like, it's... Uh, I mean, he's comparing also, like, to incongruous things like he looks to her previous relationship with angel but like you know if he was more genuine if he was more uh uh like sincere in like wanting to help her with this rather than taking it personally himself he would look at the rest of her friends and family and realize that she's the same with all of them like, you know, I mean, ostensibly the person you're with. Except for maybe Joyce. The, yeah. But even Joyce, you know, like, she yeah. she didn't cry in front of her. She didn't, you know, she didn't admit how scared she was about all the things that were wrong with her. So, yeah. like, she... With Joyce, she tries, but she still struggles. Yeah. With a lot of the other people, she doesn't even try. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, that, you know, like... To compare, like, how she was when she was 16 with a guy that he's, like, you know, barely met or whatever. And be like, why aren't you that way with me now when she doesn't have any other people that he could even look to and see, like, she's doing that instead. Like, his, her, his jealousy is, like, misplaced in that regard. Um, yeah, and I guess, um, you know, something that I would tell... 21-year-old Reuben and 28-year-old Riley, if I could go into the fictional universe, is that passion is overrated. Like, he's right. She needs to be more vulnerable with him. But actually being there every day with someone is hard. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's harder than actually feeling really passionate about someone ephemerally. For sure. (laughs) And both are necessary for a long-term relationship. Um, but that and, also, you know, yeah, both are going to ebb and flow. Yeah, and then she's. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, just capping what I'm saying that he doesn't respect that she has been there, if not enough, for a year. It's true. <laughs> it's a long time to be with a person. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, that, and then it's not as if that passion didn't exist at times, you know, yeah. early on or whatever, they, they had that, but that's part of, you know, like if she had been with Angel consistently <laughs> and if things weren't, if the world wasn't about to end every time they were in a relationship, they would have settled into a more regular <laughs> less passionate routine <laughs> wouldn't have stayed that fiery forever um, before we move on to the Xander and Buffy I just there's this moment when she gets attacked by all the vampires from the flop house and she recognizes the one who was with Riley and seems like she's going to let the vampire go because they have like a really terrified face and then she throws the spike <laughs> at her uh, and kills her. And I don't know what I'm supposed to take away from that moment except for dislike of Buffy, but also, like, she's a vampire. She's not good. Yeah. 
Am I yeah, supposed I, to have sympathy I, for that vampire in that moment? Right, I felt the same way. I was like, I mean, it seems cruel to do what she did, obviously, if she was planning to throw the spike the whole time, which is a little ambiguous, but I think so. But, uh, but yeah, either I had the exact same thing, uh, like feeling or whatever. Like, when she kills her, I'm like, oh, this is supposed to be, like, kind of a dark moment for Buffy. But I was like, also, like, you should kill vampires because they kill people. Like, she lets that person go because <laughs> she feels some weird moment of sympathy. She's just, like, ostensibly allowing that person to potentially murder people in the future, which is a weird thing to do. I don't think that moment lands, whatever it's supposed to be. They just went for the emotional thing and didn't right. really figure out the... <laughs> the background. Yeah. I really like a lot of what Sander says when he corners Buffy, but mm-hmm. the, fir- the way that he gets into the conversation is extremely rude. I mean, it's very Xander, but I, he's just like, hey, pay attention to what I'm saying, you dummy. <laughs> right. And I'm like, come on, Xander. <laughs> you are many times better than this. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know, maybe it's what Buffy needs. She's not very good at paying attention when people don't yell at her to do it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I, that's what I was about to say, too. Like, you know. It's, it's an inappropriate way to do it, but also, like, if he were nicer about it, she would brush him <laughs> off, probably, because she tries to do it anyway. Um, I also think he's a little bit uh, dishonest when she's like, um, who told you? And he's like, no one told me. It was right in front of my stupid Xander face. And I'm like, oh, Riley told you at the very beginning of the season. <laughs> you've just been kind of sitting on that (laughs) I mean Xander is more attuned to people's emotions than uh, the average Buffy character but still he was because (laughs) yeah I was gonna say because even even, uh, Riley um, opening up to Xander like Xander does technically provoke that. Like, he's he's asking yeah. him questions about how he's feeling about stuff or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, he's at least... He would... Enough. Xander would like a male friend. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's not, it's not something that's, like, really overt over most of the season, seasons, but it's something that Xander would like to have in his life. <laughs> and, as much as he loves it. Willow and Buffy and Dawn. <laughs> right. But men don't really get to be friends with each other in this show. <laughs> yeah, you got that at the very beginning. Giles and Xander deciding not to hug each other after Chase is okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, oh, what was I going to say? But, yeah, I mean, I think that it's, uh, well... The whole scene, I feel like, is a interesting way in which, like, you know, in a way he's, like, reiterating a lot of what Riley is saying, but from his own perspective on it, and that, uh, 
I don't know if, like, it's, I mean, it's obviously, it's what gets through to Buffy, but, uh, maybe, maybe, I mean, I guess they have a longer history, obviously, they've known each other a lot longer, but also, I guess, potentially seeing that someone else is seeing it from the outside, it's like, oh, this isn't an accusation to make me feel bad, this is someone else recognizing flaw. But. Yeah. Um, and I think one thing that's kind of interesting, also not overt about this scene, is I think you can, if you were making a timeline, you can put down this scene as the point at which it's clear that Xander no longer has romantic feelings for Buffy because mm. he's really fighting hard for her to be happy with someone else. It's true. Because <laughs> he thinks that she could be. Like, that's the thing that something that's interesting is about the scene is however many uh, seemingly mean things he might say to Buffy during the scene. Like, he's not invested in Riley. Like, they're not close friends. He doesn't right. love having Riley around. He likes Riley only because he thinks that Buffy really likes Riley. <laughs> right. I mean, that's his whole pitch. He says, if he doesn't have the thing that you want, go find him. And make sure you tell him, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> Go and know that you, you can move on fully now. But if he does have that thing, it doesn't matter that he's being a jerk right now. <laughs> that can possibly be worked out. Right. <laughs> and you have to give it a shot. And maybe yeah, you haven't you yet. <laughs> True. Yeah, I mean, the the bit about, like, you know, because it's interesting, you know, like, the in the previous scene, when she's like, you're giving me an ultimatum, like, that's a terrible thing to do. And it's true that it is, but then, you know, when Xander puts it in perspective, it's like, if this is an amazing relationship that you care deeply for, like, if you're going to, like, just decide not to save it because you don't like the circumstances of like what that would take or whatever yeah i think riley is being uh unfair here but not abusive like that's a mm -hmm. clear line to make he's not asking buffy to do something that you know she should never have to do under any circumstances because what he's asking her to do he's Basically, you know, he's putting an unfair time crunch on the situation, but all he's asking is to say, should I build my life here or should I build it somewhere else? Right. Which is not an unfair thing to ask of a relationship. <laughs> not at all. It's <laughs> a very important one. Um, yeah, like, you know, um, I'll just mention the line specifically because I think it's really good. Uh, you know... Xander says he knows what's going on, and Buffy's like, this is what's going on. Uh, he says he's going to leave unless I forgive him for this awful thing that he did. And Xander doesn't uh, hears what Buffy says and does not respond to what he thinks she wants to hear. He goes, so are you going to let him go? <laughs> right. <laughs> he doesn't yeah, care what looking... the situation is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, she's looking for someone to be mad on her side, like, no. about it. Like, this shit that Riley did is fucked up, because he didn't know all that. Like, he knows something's gone wrong, but he didn't know about the, like, 
vampire thing. And he's like, yeah. well. And I, I really like Nicholas Brendan's acting in that because he is yeah. momentarily taken aback. He's like, oh, that is fucked up. <laughs> but <laughs> are you going to let him go? <laughs> He was like, got to back up off that whole yelling at Buffy thing for a little bit. Right. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, no, I think he's, uh, I mean, it'd be hard to choose a winner for best acting for this episode, but I would probably go with Nicholas Brendan. Mm-hmm. There's so many good performances. Him and Emma Caulfield and Sarah Michelle Gellar and Mark Lucas are all very, very good. But yeah. That's true. Yeah, I mean, uh, and he gets the he gets the big moment. Well, two big moments that make mm. me cry every time. Every time I watch these yeah. dumb episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Messy's yeah, the whole love. like last five minutes of this episode makes me cry when mm. she changes her mind and she goes to race after him, and you know. Do 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 music. Yeah. <laughs> right, I was looking on. Although I'm always like a little bit, uh, like my tears stop for a moment when she gets there because I'm like, "You're the Slayer. Throw a rock at the chopper if you really want right. to stop it. <laughs> like, you're literally the strongest person in the world. <laughs> I'm sure you could hit Riley with a rock <laughs> or something. That's true. Be like, hey, <laughs> hey yo, look down here, dummy. <laughs> Buffy would be a very different series if I was one of the writers on it, or they would always just constantly reject my suggestions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I think that there's two moments that in that, for me at least, that are, like, a little bit... Like, I guess it's more dramatic if she, like, just barely misses him, but, like you yeah. said, a little less realistic. But I also don't like the trick shot arrival, which is very upsetting. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's bad. <laughs> it's a bad yeah. choice. Like, she's running down the bridge, and then it cuts to him looking up as if she's running right there. And then cuts to what he actually sees, which is just an empty field. Yeah, they should have at least had, like, a deer in the shot or something. It makes no right, sense for him that to made him look, look up. <laughs> but yeah, also, I mean, should have really the other thing, like... <laughs> Even if, like, the helicopter was just, like, a little bit further up in a way, like, turned away, like, I could understand. But, like, when she gets there, I could throw something into the chopper if I just right. immediately, like, thought of it in my head. If I was, like, thinking on my feet. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how do I get their attention? This is really important. <laughs> anyway. And then, of course, my other thing that a uh, little bit holds back... My tears in this episode is Anya's nightwear is really terrible. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice. <laughs> it's, it's really, like, it looks like she hasn't changed her nightwear from the 1800s. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's pretty funny. But, who cares? Xander's speech yeah. is great. It always makes me super cry. And it's true. Love them as a couple. Yeah. And I think that it's like, it's pretty cool, actually, the way that they, they structure it. Because, like, technically, that's the B-plot, is, like, that Anya and Xander are bickering and she is feeling a kind of, like, insecurity about their relationship. But, like, that's 
that's done really subtly. Like it's not, yeah, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it has the same momentousness that of what's going on with Riley and Buffy. But then when you get to this scene, like all the other small details of the episode come together, and I'm like, oh yeah, like this is something she's concerned about, and he's seen through what's happening with Buffy and Riley that you know he hasn't been making her realize how important she is to him. Yeah, and I think, you know, sort of structurally from, like, a show standpoint, you know, we tend to have a central character and a central romance and that that's the one that we're supposed to, like, truly be invested in. And the show is sort of reminding us, like, there's never a point at which all things are bad. Like, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, this relationship is falling apart, but this one is hitting, like, a new peak because Xander is also the protagonist of his own life in the same right. way that Buffy is the protagonist of her life. And you can champion that as well while also realizing that it's sad that maybe Buffy could have given her and Riley a better, better chance and Riley could have been a little more forgiving and looking at a long-term picture. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he, he really wants results right away, considering everything else that's happening. Yeah. Makes sense that he wants to be in the military. <laughs> yep. Very results-oriented <laughs> yep. job. I love the line, not love, as in, like, actually think is good, but think it's ridiculous that the show or Riley or anyone thinks that, like, Army is better than government. He's like, we're not government. <laughs> we're army. <laughs> we don't have thoughts. We just shoot things. <laughs> I'm like, that. That doesn't sound better. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> we're not loaded with this dumb bureaucracy and checks and balances. We just go and murder. We're very efficient at it. <laughs> I always need bodies. <laughs> Let me see if I have any other little notes before I get to the Wikipedia. Uh, Buffy is strong jokes are almost always bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, with the doctor. <laughs> yeah? She squeezes him too hard. Uh, Anya is always funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, Buffy used to tra- chase me around these chopsticks and I would pretend I was a vampire. That's disturbing. You're emotionally scarred. It went badly. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Like, it's sort of a weird moment in that, like, I don't know. I don't know exactly how I feel about it because I'm like, does that mean that now the with the fake memories and everything like that, like Buffy's family knew she was the Slayer like a lot before? Because like Joyce just found out. (laughs) Yeah, that's um. Something that comes up on, like, any sort of review site is that they uh, talk about how Dawn's inclusion in the universe, you know, really weirdly shifts things. Like, even, like, her talking about her being, like, really sad about Angel all the time. It's like, well, Buffy kept the level of her relationship with Angel secret from Joyce until season three. Right. When it was already Dawn would have been... Dawn would have been... 12 mm-hmm. was Buffy crying with Dawn about her 
adult with relationship <laughs> with a 12 year old daughter. I mean, a 12 year old sister. sister. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's true. That one I could at least, like, somewhat rationalize in the sense of, like, you know, if she's always around the house in a way that the mom isn't or whatever, that she would hear things even if she wasn't, like, specifically privy to them. But the Slayer thing is a little more baffling. (laughs) Yeah. Does not fit the timeline. This show doesn't really care about timelines that much. That's true. Um, They're making fun of me by making, by including Don. So, <laughs> making fun of what I'm doing right now. Um, when uh, Buffy and Riley are dancing together, um, you know, he says that he wants the night to be special, and she says it's more than special, it's perfect, which is like a nice little uh, reminder of where Buffy's personality is. She's a very all-or-nothing person. Like, a nice right. night apparently isn't enough. Like, this night is going to be the night to end all other nights. (laughs) It has to be. (laughs) Um, It's a little writerly, but I like the play of Out of the Woods calling the episode Into the Woods. Buffy says, everything's good now, we're out of the woods. (laughs) It's true. And the episode title's like, no you're not. (laughs) You're into the woods. (laughs) That's not how life works. (laughs) You don't, yeah. like, solve a problem, and then everything's good. <laughs> Did the Sondheim musical exist yet? I assume so. Yeah. I have no idea when musicals were written. <laughs> <laughs> like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Like, I assumed he'd been dead forever, but apparently he's still alive, so. Um... And then, of course, I always wanted to make a supercut, but it would uh, involve way too much work to find them all. But of people saying, when were you going to tell me? I'm telling you now. (laughs) 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 It's like, I feel like it's in every single TV show that lasts more than two seasons. (laughs) I I would imagine that that is absolutely true. (laughs) Movies have done a better job of avoiding it, but I feel like Mm -hmm. it's probably still in some movies as well. But it's really egregious in television. (laughs) This episode was written and directed by Marty Noxon. Oh, cool. Uh, I guess I don't hate Marty Noxon after all. In Doppelgangland, Will becomes upset when she finds out Anya's plans and takes back her chicken feet. In this episode, <laughs> Anya and Will have a fight that starts out over chicken's feet. Wow. <laughs> That's some nice mirroring. Yeah. Um. Oh. The in memory of DC Gustafsson at the end of the episode referred to Gustav Gustafsson, who was the lead man for the first two seasons of the show. Gustav was apparently a close friend of Sarah Michelle Geller and died during filming uh, after fighting cancer and AIDS. Wow, that is sad. This is the first episode directed by Marty Noxon of the experience. She says it was thrilling and it was terrifying. I thought I was going to bolt the whole time. She also directed Forever. (laughs) 
When asked why they chose to have Riley leave Sunnydale, Joss Whedon says he tried to give Buffy a healthy relationship, but people didn't want it. They did some great work together, but at the same time, when they were happy, it made people crazy. <laughs> Marty Knoxon adds, Sunnydale romance just really goes well. Buffy with the boyfriend is not as interesting as Buffy in some kind of romantic strife. Riley, by his nature, was such a good and constant character that we are at risk of things getting a little dull. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Fans hate, fans hate Riley, so they're like, we got to get this guy out of here. I think a lot of fans were very on Buffy's side in a lot of ways and how they think about relationship and passion and all that sort of stuff. So, um, it's true. I mean, I think that that also shows through in the empathy or sympathy for Spike or whatever. Somehow we're yeah. rooting for a sociopath. Because <laughs> his feelings are so strong. <laughs> yep. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't disinclude myself from that. When I was a teenager, I was like, oh, sure. Spike's cool. <laughs> I'm so um, easily influenced by these things that almost any time that a relationship isn't like overtly shown to be bad, I'm always rooting for it. Like, it's very rare that, like, a friend of mine, for instance, tells me that they're dating someone, and I don't think, oh, that's the person that they're going to end up with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so I thought that Riley and Buffy were a good couple. But like I said, yeah. I also, like, when I was watching this show, at least to the second or third time that I was watching it, I was basically going through what Riley was going through. So right. it was hard for me not to like him a little bit. And now with a little distance, I think I understand some of the complaints and mm -hmm. the ones that I agree with somewhat. I think he's not given quite as much credit as he deserves, but at the time that I was watching it, I probably didn't critique him as much as he deserved either. Right. It's <laughs> fair. Yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to remember how I feel, but I definitely... I mean, I don't know. I was I was a very uh, fandom-y person in general when I was a teenager, so I think whatever the show went, I was on board for it. If it's a show I liked, I liked all the episodes, even the bad ones. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I do remember specifically that the first time that I watched it, when Willow chose Tara over Oz, that I was upset, because I was like super into Seth Green. I was like, Oz is the way to go. Yeah. But other than that, I was usually on board for whichever direction they took relationships. For sure. Unless it was obvious that it was a bad one, like Wesley and Cordelia, in which case I was glad when it was over. <laughs> right. <laughs> in uh, a funny way, too. Grossed <laughs> out by each other's kissing. In France, this was called Par Amour. Which means out of love, and in German it was called Das Ultimatum. <laughs> this episode is Riley centric. Yeah, it is. Mark Lucas leaves the main cast in this episode. He was promoted to series regular in the eleventh episode of the previous season. He was therefore was a main character for exactly one season. Oh, weird. <laughs> Fun. You got to be in the credits for 22 episodes, but not 22 episodes of the same season. <laughs> right. 
Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed us hashing out our own personal romantic foibles <laughs> for 40 minutes or whatever. Um, no. This way is longer. one of the ones that's <laughs> much longer than the actual episode. Um, uh, if so, you can always subscribe to us uh, using your podcast list application. And give us a five-star rating review on iTunes. We do appreciate it. Uh, but for now... If you thought we had anything else to say about Into the Woods, you were and are myth taken. <laughs> Bye. Bye. We do still have things to say about Riley, because he's coming back. <laughs>